Today, I want to look at a specific king that is often overlooked in the Bible. And his story appears briefly in the scriptures. And he's a name you don't really hear of often in church or in scripture. He's kind of a forgotten king. The reason he's a forgotten king is because he was a king who settled for partial victory. He settled for a half-hearted kingship. He settled to live a life not fully following after God's ways. And so if you have a Bible, go to 2 Kings 13. 2 Kings 13. Yes, we get excited about the Word of God. And I want to title this message, Make It Count. Make It Count. If you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be alive, you might as well make it count. If you're going to have a job, you might as well make it count. If you're going to be married, make it count. If you're going to be a parent, make it count. If you're going to college, make it count. If you're going to live this life, you might as well say it with me, make it count. So this last week, I was preparing to preach a message all about red flags and kings and queens who had crazy marriages, but God interrupted my message preparation. I was writing this as I was coming back from preaching overseas last week, and I got a text message right as I was getting on the plane, and, and it, it came to me right as the stewardess, the captain, said, turn off your phones. And so this text comes through, and it says, did you hear what happened to Kobe Bryant? This was on Sunday of last week. I was preaching in Norway, and so someone sent this to me. It was nighttime in Norway. It was afternoon time here. And all of a sudden, the, the captain says, everyone turn off your phones. So I'm thinking, I wonder what happened to Kobe Bryant. That's a name I hadn't heard in a while. I loved watching Kobe play basketball as a teenager. He was like a, an icon. I loved watching the Lakers and loved seeing him and Shaquille O'Neal playing on the same team at that time. So I was imagining, I wonder what the news is. We get up in the air, and the captain says, there's free Wi-Fi. You can turn on your phones. You can, you know, use, use your phone. You can't call, but you can check text messages, check Google. So I go on, on Google, and I type in, what happened to Kobe Bryant? And all of a sudden, I start seeing these news articles and these pictures. And, man, I was overwhelmed because I was thinking, no, 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 no. And I started seeing it was this crash that happened last Sunday with Kobe and his daughter and Several others on board. I think we have a picture of all those who were on the crash last week. John Altabelli, Carrie Altabelli, Alyssa Altabelli, Christina Mauser, Sarah Chester, Peyton Chester, Ara Zabayon, Gianna Bryant, and Kobe Bryant. And all of a sudden, all I could think of in that moment was, I've, I've gotta, we've got to get off this airplane immediately. And I've got to call my wife, and I've got to get home as fast as possible. And I've got to hug my kids, and I've got to hug my wife. Because life is so fragile. Life is so short. I guarantee you that none of those people who got on that helicopter last Sunday woke up that morning thinking, this is going to be my last day to live. I guarantee it. All of them woke up thinking it's another day. It's another game. It's another flight. They say that last Sunday, Kobe first went to his church first. That he was a man of faith. He was quiet about his faith, but he was... Always there going to church on Sunday. If they were out of town, he would find a mass to go to. He believed in Jesus Christ, took communion, repented of his sins, confessed his sins. But I guarantee you that none of them woke up that morning thinking this is the final day I have on earth. And as I was sitting there, I said, I, I, I have to preach on eternity this next Sunday. I have to preach on eternity. I have to preach on what really matters in this life. Like, what are we really living for? What are we really living for? And so that's what this message is about. Immediately, I started praying for Kobe's family, for the families of those that were related to those who lost their lives. But then I started seeing articles through the week of so many celebrities that are just sober this week. 
thinking about eternity. Celebrities that are saying, I'm going back to church for the first time ever. Celebrities that are saying, I'm sorry, what beef I have with you. I've got, I've got, we've got to forgive each other. We can't keep making a big deal about these petty little offenses. Life is too short to be bitter. And I don't even follow these celebrities, you know. I mean, I love everyone, but I'm not into celebrities' lifestyles. But just watching their repentance this week, just watching how the world paused to recognize that life is short, that a 14-year-old girl stepped into eternity last week. A 41-year-old man stepped into a 27-year-old. Death does not discriminate against your age. Death does not discriminate against your race. Death does not discriminate against anyone in the room. And you go, well, Paul, I mean, I don't like talking. This is very uncomfortable. I can't, I can't. Until we face the fact that all of us one day will step into eternity, we will never really start living. So this is going to be one of those messages that is a wake-up call to really start living for eternity, to make our lives count. There were kings and queens in the Bible who chased after money. They chased men who chased after women chased after fame as if fame was going to be the, the real sign of their success. Money would be the real sign of their success. And they lost it all. They lost their family. They lost their kingdom. They lost their fame. They lost their influence. Only the kings and queens who devoted their life to chase after God ended up truly living a life of significance and success. It doesn't matter what job you have. It matters what kind of life you're going to live. Whether you're a king or whether you're someone who serves in a company, or whether you're someone who teaches in a school, you're a stay-at-home mom, a dad, a college student, how are we living our lives right now? In 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14, Elisha the prophet was dying. And this was an interesting time in Israel because Israel was losing their battles. They were really, the, the, their destiny was hanging in the balance. They didn't know what was going to happen. They were being led by a king named Jehoash. Now, Jehoash, he was a king who half-heartedly followed God, but he half-heartedly also followed the things of the world. So he didn't do away with all the sexual and moral sins in the land. He didn't do away with all the idols. And so he was kind of comfortable riding the fence with God. He was comfortable kind of being a guy who went to church, but he also kind of still played with sin. He still stayed in wicked things that he kept on the side. And he would keep it separated. He would be at church here. He would go to see Elisha there. And then he would continue to go back to certain sins in his life. But here in this moment, he realized the prophet, the last good man in Israel, the last godly man in Israel is dying. I remember when Oral Roberts was, was getting close to death and there was people who were flying all over the world to go visit Oral in California. My mom and dad would take trips just to go spend time just sitting and listening to his wisdom in his final years of life. When my father was on his deathbed, before he passed, there were people who were calling in, people who were flying in, people who were just wanting to spend last few minutes with Pastor Billy Joe Doherty. For this king, it meant everything. These few minutes with this prophet would determine the fate, the future of Israel. So King Jehoash came to Elisha. In verse 14, it said, Now Elisha had been suffering from this sickness from which he would later on die from. And Jehoash, the king of Israel, went down to see him, and he was weeping over him. And he said, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. So in other words, he was saying, what's going to happen to Israel? Now that you're dying, what's going to happen to our nation? You're the only reason that God's presence hasn't left us. And so Elisha says to him, he says, go get a bow and some arrows. Now that's a strange thing to say. <laughs> you know, he wasn't wanting to just play games with him like bow and arrow time. 
he was wanting him to do a prophetic act for Israel. In the Old Testament, anytime they did strange things like this, it was metaphors. It was symbolism of what was going to happen. So I got with me this morning a bow and some arrows because, you know, I'm like the illustrated sermon preacher here. And so I need some help. Pastor AJ, come on up here. Last time Pastor AJ and I had bow and arrow, it didn't work out too well. But we're going to redeem ourselves today. We got seven arrows. Just take one of those arrows and um, let's not hurt anybody today at church. <laughs> Make it count. <laughs> so, he said, so he said, take the bow in your hands. Okay, so Elisha is telling the king, I want you to take the bow in your hands, take the arrow. And then he said that Elisha put his hands on the king's hand. So Elisha is doing something prophetic here. There's a symbolism here. The king is not dumb. The king knows this is not a game. What he's asking me to do will determine what happens for the future of my life and the future of our nation. Let me tell you something today. The future is in your hands. There's a lot of people in the room, maybe here today, that would wonder this thought of sovereignty. You would think, ah, do we really control the fate of our lives? Can we really determine what happens with our lives? Aren't we all kind of predestined to die at a certain time? Aren't we all predestined to make certain decisions? There's actually churches that gather with this thought that some people are predestined to go to heaven regardless of whether you witness to them, and some people are predestined to go to hell regardless of whether you witness to them. And they, they say some sons are predestined to succeed and some sons are predestined to fail and some marriages are predestined to be divorced and some marriages are predestined to stay together. But I'm here to tell you today the greatest gift God gave you is the gift of choice. The choice for your life is in your hands. You cannot control the day that you die, but you can control the days that you are alive. The choice... To be faithful is up to you. God won't force you to be faithful. The choice to forgive is up to you. God won't force you to forgive. The choice to say kind words, the choice to do the right thing, the choice to walk in integrity. Elisha was telling the king, it's in your hands. What I'm asking you to do will determine your fate and the fate of Israel. Now watch what he, have, what he says. He says, open the eastern window. Elisha tells him this. And he says, shoot the arrow. Yeah, so he shoots the arrow. We won't do this in church today. We don't want anyone to get hurt. And he, and he says, this is the Lord's arrow of victory. The arrow of victory over Aram, which is modern day Syria. And Elisha said, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. There were people who hated the Jews. There were people who did not want the Israelites in their land. This was the land that the Jews had gone into slavery under Egypt, under Pharaoh. And then they went back to the land that Abraham had walked on, the, the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land that Moses had told Joshua, go into Jericho, go and take possession of the land. Well, there was people who didn't want them there. But this prophetic act would determine their victory to get that land back. God has a prophetic word over you that this is the year to get your family back, to get your health back, to get your mind back, to get your marriage back, to get your energy back, to get your purpose back, to stop living so distracted on everyone else's story and start making the most of your life. Make it count. So the king was, he recognized this was a prophetic moment. He shoots the arrow. Now, watch what Elisha says next. The prophetic word is still being written. And this is the problem. Some of us only accept half of the prophetic word. The second half would be more important than the first half. Elisha tells the king, take the arrows. Everybody say arrows. And shoot all the arrows that you can. Strike the ground with all the arrows that you can. That's what Elisha was saying. So the king chose three arrows. 
and he shot three times. And it says in the next verse, the man of God was angry. He said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. You had more arrows to shoot. Why would you leave arrows in your quiver? Why would you settle for partial victory when God has a prophetic word of total victory for you? Why would you accept a life of half-hearted living when God has given you more arrows to shoot? Elisha was furious, and you go, well, that's not fair. How would he know? The king knew. The king knew this was a prophetic word. The king knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that he was doubting whether Elisha's word could come to pass in his life. So he was doing just enough. Some people live just enough to get by, just enough to barely make it into heaven, just enough to barely hide your secret sins from other people, just enough to barely survive, just in survival mode. This king would be the half-hearted king. And he would go on to only win a few victories. We find out five verses later, five verses later, the end of this story in verse 25, Jehoash would go on and he would defeat the enemy three times, but he would not totally have the victory. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today, God, about living with total victory, emptying every arrow in our quiver and giving it all we got and making it count for eternity. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. So tonight will be a Super Bowl night, and uh, the Chiefs and the 49ers will play against each other. Which team are you going for? The Chiefs. <laughs> How many of y'all like, I don't really care, doesn't really matter? Okay, <laughs> most of us in the room. But here's one thing you will know about these guys. They will go out on a field, and they will look at the scoreboard, and 60 minutes will begin. And as it begins, it will start to tick down. And as it gets closer and closer to the end, the coaches and the quarterbacks and the linemen, the receivers, the linebackers, everyone will be watching that. Because as that clock ticks down, time is running out. Whatever you're going to do, you better do it now. You better leave it out on that field. For some of those guys, it will be their final game. Tonight will be their last game. And for them, they think, man, this is everything. If we win the Super Bowl, we really succeed at life. We really made our lives count. But there are some guys on those teams that understand that this game is just a game. And that after this game and off of this field, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. How we treat the people around us. How we pursue God, whether or not we obey God's word, whether or not we believe in God. There are Christian men playing on both teams that understand that this game, it matters very little in eternity. Like when you get to heaven, God's not going to be like, man, that was a really good touchdown that you threw over there. That's not, that interception, that was rough. We're going to have to forgive you about that. St. Peter might still let you through the gate. God doesn't care about your interceptions and your fumbles. He cares about how we live our lives in light of eternity. This past week, as people were reflecting on Kobe Bryant, sure, they were talking about how passionate he was with basketball, how much time he spent out on the court. They were talking about how he won three championships. But the most significant things they were saying was Kobe was one of the few NBA players that stayed married to the same woman for 20 years. Kobe was one of the few NBA players that really invested in the next generation, that really sat down with his daughters, and he was proud of being a dad, a girl dad, four girls that he just loved and he poured into. He was one of the few that was at church every single Sunday that he could be there spending time with God. Those are the things that go with this into eternity. He was making his life count. He was shooting every arrow. Now, people would not know who Kobe Bryant is today if he had not worked on his craft and his skill. 
So even though basketball stats may not matter in eternity, being passionate about your skills and your cause will give you a platform to point other people to something greater than the platform that you're playing on. People today can see the great things he did off the court because he worked hard to gain the influence on the court. So people were talking about how Kobe visited kids in the hospital many times. People don't know this, that cameras didn't show this. Kids that, that were, their dying wish was just to meet their, their greatest hero in their mind was Kobe, and he would just go and spend time with them. I want to show you a few pictures of people that you might recognize. Whitney Houston. Robin Williams. Billy Graham. Billy Joe Doherty, my favorite. Ryan Hart Bonke. Lester Sumrall. Smith Wigglesworth, the Apostle Paul. What do all of these people have in common with Kobe and with Gianna? I'll tell you what they have in common. They're gone. Their time on earth has ended. They're in eternity. And we remember some of the things they've done. We remember some of the things they've said. Someday you and I, we will all face eternity. Someday you will be buried and there will be a gravestone and it will have the year that you were born and it will have a dash and it will have the year that you pass away. It will look something like this gravestone that we have on this picture. That's the year that I was born, 85. Can't control that. That was the year that, that God brought me into the earth, right? I can't control the day that I die, but I can control that little dash in between. What will you do with your dash? What will we do with our dash? How will we spend our lives? Will we spend our lives bitter over petty little things? Will we spend our lives complaining? Will we spend our lives like this king, just shooting a few arrows, just barely getting by at work, just saying, well, someone else can do this. I'm not the right person. I should have done this. I could have done this. I would have done this. Are we going to live with regrets or are we going to make our lives count for eternity? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, look carefully at your life. Pay careful attention to your walk. Live purposefully. Have a target. By the way, the definition of success is hitting your target. Hitting your target. My question is, what is your target? For some of you in the room, success is a million dollars. Success is building a large company. Success is 100,000 followers on Instagram. Success is, I don't know, it's, it's, it's something for some of you. It's, it's being famous. It's being a YouTuber. It's being a blogger. It's being known. For some of you in the room, it's being a great dad. And that's a great target. For some of you in the room, it's just being a great mom. And that's a great target. For some of you in the room, it's just obeying God. And that's the best target. The best target of success is just to obey God. God will not judge you by how many people follow you on Instagram. He will not judge you by how many posts you had. He will not judge you by how many points you scored. He will not judge you by how many Super Bowl games you won or what you went to or all that stuff. He will look at what did you do with the gifts, the arrows that I put in your quiver? What did you do with the time? What did you do with the time that I gave you? Time. Time. That's what Paul was saying in Ephesians 5. Make the most of your time because time is short. Time is running out. And I started thinking about time. How much time do we have just in one year, in 2020? How much time do we have? We have 525,600 minutes in a year. That's a lot of minutes to think about. 525,600 minutes that you and I have this year. But scientists say a third of those minutes we will spend sleeping. Some of you a little bit more than a third. I'm looking at you right now. You're like... 
It's okay. I don't take it offensively. I'm preaching the word of God. But some of us are sleeping through the best moments of our life. We're sleeping through the lessons that God is trying to teach us. The scientists also say that uh, uh, the other third of those minutes are spent with unconscious time. You're awake, but you're not really there. You ever, some of y'all, I'm looking at you right now, and it's a good example. (laughs) I've been that example too. When I'm in church, sometimes someone else is preaching. I'm there. My eyes are open, but I'm thinking about Taco Bueno. I'm thinking about playing basketball later. I'm imagining going skydiving someday with my life. You know, you're there. you're, You're unconscious. And then that leaves us with a third, the final third of our minutes, to be fully engaged, fully present. And we have to because life is short. Time is running out. We've got to make it count. The Bible says that we're promised 70 to 80 years of life. If you're, if you're blessed, like my grandma, she turns 96 this month. Grand, grand, I don't know where she's at. She still works full time for the church. She's a secretary. Come on, ain't nothing happening there. Grand, grand's awesome. She works right there for me. And grand, grand, she turns 96 this month. So, so let's say you live 80, 90, 100 plus years. But let's just look at 70 years. 70 years equals 36,792,000 minutes. That's a lot of minutes. That's a lot of minutes to be responsible for. That's a lot of minutes to think about what am I going to do with my minutes. But life is not made of minutes. Life is made of moments. Because inside of minutes is something much greater. And it's moments. Moments. The defining moments of our life. The moment that you gave your heart to Christ. Or that some of you will do it today. It's the greatest moment of your life. The moment that you met someone you love. The moment that you said, I do. The moment you had your first child. The moment that you chose the path of the purpose and the calling God has on your life. Have you ever sat through a movie that you felt like was just too long, just had too many minutes in the movie, and you just couldn't wait till it was over? I did as a kid. We'd have to watch, you know, sisters got to choose chick flicks sometimes. Brothers got to choose the boy movies. And when it was a chick flick, oh, it was so long. I was like... Pride and prejudice, why do you have to be so long? Can we just get to Mr. Darcy? Can we speed this thing up? Sound of Music, four hours long. My Fair Lady, four hours long. uh, Sense and Sensibility, Emma, all these movies. And I'm like, can we have a man movie? Can we have a Batman? Can we watch Three Ninjas? Can we watch Mighty Ducks, Little Giants? Just come on, something. And there's certain movies that I enjoyed so much that they were too short. It wasn't they were too long, they were too short. Because they weren't movies that were made of a lot of minutes. They were movies made of a lot of moments. And the moments were so good that you wanted to know what was going to happen next. I remember this one movie about a preacher who died and his sons play out, their lives play out. What will they do with their lives? What will you do with your life? When I was in high school, this song came out, country song by Tim McGraw called Live Like You Were Dying. And in the song he says, I met a man who was in his 40s. Who said, I got a lot of life before me until suddenly a a piece of news hit me, struck me. It was a defining moment. The man found out he had cancer. He had months left to live. And the author of the song says, what did you do when you found out that news? And he said, I went skydiving. I went rocky mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. Come on, I'm a country singer. That was my original career. No, it was. I left it to follow this. (laughs) But it was a funny song until it got to this one moment where it became so powerful and I started crying the first time I heard that song because he said, I loved deeper. I spoke sweeter. I gave forgiveness that I've been denying. Son, I hope you get the chance someday to live like you were dying. 
And he said, I, I became the husband that most of the times I wasn't. I finally started treating my wife right. Finally started treating my kids. Finally started making my life count for eternity. He said, I hope you one day realize that tomorrow is a gift. Tomorrow is a gift. This is a gift. This is a gift. And Elisha was telling this king, don't you understand? Those arrows are gifts. Don't settle for a half-hearted life. Don't settle just for a life of shooting a few arrows. Give it all you got. Shoot your shot. Live your life for eternity. Pour it all out. This is what Paul told Timothy. And for, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul was in his final, final chapter of life. He said, I'm dying, Timothy. In verse 6, he said, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. My life has been poured out. I've given it all I got. I've poured into Thessalonica. I've poured into Colossia. I've poured into Ephesus. And I've poured into uh, uh, Titus. And I've poured into Philemon. And, and I've been pouring into you, Timothy. And, and I haven't held anything back. And I've been betrayed. Demas left me because he fell in love with the things of the world. He couldn't stay in church. He, he just got bored. He got tired. He ran out. He found out that the world has very little to offer because you could chase after the things of the world and then you find out that the world is so much emptier than any other path. Following Jesus is the most fulfilling, satisfying life you can live. Pour it all out for Jesus. There is nothing in the world that is sweeter and better than following Jesus. So Paul was telling Timothy, I've given it all I got. I've worked hard. I've poured it all out. I'm coming to the end. I've been shipwrecked. I've been bit by a snake. I've been betrayed. I've been stoned. Not like, not this kind of stoned. You got to clarify it in Oklahoma. Stone, like he had, people had thrown stones. People tried to kill him three times. I've been forgotten. But I didn't let anything stop me from giving it all. I almost titled this message, Die Empty. Die with no arrows left. Die with an empty quiver. Give it all you've got. Save nothing for the next life because there is no next life. It's eternity. It's eternity. And what we do here echoes in eternity. What we do with the people around us, how we treat people, the way we love people. I want to honor some people in the room. If you've been saved for longer than 10 years, you've been following Jesus for 10 years. I want you to stand up. 10 years or longer, stand up. I want to just honor seasoned saints in the room that have been going after God. You've been through some setbacks. You've experienced some heartbreak, but you're still following Jesus. You've chosen to forgive. You've chosen to keep moving forward. Give a hand to all of these in the room that have been saved 10 years or longer. That's amazing. Stay standing if you've been saved for 20 years or longer. 20 years you've been following Jesus. 20 plus years. Come on, that's amazing. There's so many more still, still standing if you've been saved for 30 years. For 30 years you've been following Jesus. This is what Paul was telling Timothy. He's saying, I've been giving it all I got. The second that I, I, I changed my life, Paul didn't start his life on the right track, but once he gave his life to Jesus, he went all in. 30 years Look around the room. 30 plus years they've been following Jesus. If you've been following Jesus for 40 years or longer, stay standing. For 40 years, you've pressed through all kinds of stuff. You've loved people. You've loved God. You've gone to church. You've chosen to forgive. You've chosen to give. You've chosen to love. Even when you were betrayed, you chose to stay faithful to Jesus. If you've been following Jesus for 50 years, 50 years, 50 plus years.
It's worth it. I've never met a seasoned saint who said it wasn't worth it. As a pastor, I've had the opportunity to sit with families while their loved ones step into eternity. I've been right there in the hospital room. I've been at funerals. And no one says, oh, I regret going to church too much. I regret reading my, I regret spending too much time with Jesus. No one regrets that. Greatest decision you'll make is just to keep following Jesus. If you've been following God, following Jesus for longer than 60 years, stay standing, 60 years, 60 years. If you've been following Jesus for 70 years, 70 years you've been following Jesus. I see my grandma Dolly over here, my, my, mother, my grandmother-in-law. 70 years you've been following Jesus. 70 years, 70 years, 70 years, 70 years, 70 plus years, 70 plus years, the Olsons in the back. You're heroes, you're heroes. You should be preaching this sermon. Your life is a message. We had, we had seven or eight people following Jesus for 70 plus years in this church. Now this church is only 38 years old, 39 years old. That's incredible. What Paul was telling Timothy is, Timothy, there is a crown that is waiting for you. You don't waste anything when you live for Jesus. And he was saying, give it all you got. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't give up, don't quit. Make your life count for eternity. And we have a choice, we have a choice. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, Moses was getting ready to die, and he would die without stepping into his dream, which makes it sad to read these thoughts because Moses is telling Joshua, Joshua, you're getting to go where I wish I could go. You're getting to step into a promised land that I wish I could step into. He's telling the Israelites, the next generation, Moses would die with a twinkle in his eye. He would die with still life inside of him. He said, I want you to know that this land that, that's in front of you, it's up to you. The choice is yours. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. To really make your life count, you've got to recognize your life is in your hands. It is your choice what you do with your life. Moses was telling Joshua, Joshua, God can't force you to live with faith. God can't force you to walk in victory. It is your choice. And he said, I command you today to love God with all your heart. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his commandments. Keep his decrees. And you will live and increase the key to success. The key to victory is following the word of God. Following the commandments of God. You want to succeed? Don't chase money. Don't chase girls. Don't chase fame. Don't chase boys. Don't chase uh, popularity. Chase Jesus. Jesus will give you success in whatever you do. And then he says this, he says, you will live and you will increase and God will bless you and he will give you the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, if you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them. In other words, you have the choice, Joshua. I declare to you this day that if you do those things, you will certainly be destroyed. He was telling Joshua, Joshua, the enemy is not out there. I know you want to blame everything on the devil. I know you want to blame everything on your enemies, your opponents out there. What Moses was telling Joshua is your enemy is right here. 
The enemy is the inner me. It's it's the lazy me. It's the me that wants to make excuses. It's the me that wants to get up and go, oh, I don't want to go to church. Oh, I don't feel like forgiving them. My biggest enemy is not you. My biggest enemy is, is not out there. My biggest enemy is the flesh inside me that wars against the spirit. What Moses was telling Joshua is, Joshua, if you will just deny what your flesh wants and go after what God wants, you will have success. But if you keep bowing down to lazy Joshua, comparison Paul, jealous Paul, frustrated Paul, petty, offended Paul, bitter about anything, making excuses Paul, you're going to miss out on the blessings of God. What we've got to do is we've got to destroy that enemy of the inner me that tries to fight against the victory, the destiny that God has for us. So Moses tells Joshua, I declare to you this day that you, you, you will miss out. You will cross into the promised land, but you will not live long there. You'll make it in. You'll barely get in, but you won't last long. Why? God's a good God. He'll let you in, but it's up to you how long you stay in victory. It's up to you how long you walk in victory. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your children might live. Shoot your shot. Shoot your arrow that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The choice is yours. There was a man named Alfred who woke up one morning, early 1900s, true story, and he went to go get the newspaper. He gets the newspaper, brings it inside, starts reading through it, gets to the obituary column, and he sees his name. He thinks, that's strange. I'm alive. Why do they have my name listed as a death? And it says, Alfred Noble, the merchant of death, has finally died. Thank goodness. This man invented dynamite. He's killed more people than anyone else in the world. And they made a mistake. It was his brother who had died earlier that week. But they mistook it that he was the one who was dead. And when he read the obituary, he was angry because he was thinking, how dare they say these things about me? And then it realized it's true. He had invented weapons of mass destruction. What he had invented had led to more people's deaths during that time than anyone else. And so he got this thought. He was in his late 60s. My dad used to say the teams that win championships are not the teams that stick with the game plan right from the first quarter. It's the teams that have the ability to adjust the game plan at halftime. It's the teams who realize even in the fourth quarter, if there's time left on the scoreboard, we can change our strategy and we can win. So Alfred decided he was going to change his strategy. He decided he would take all the money he made off of selling weapons of mass destruction and he would invest it into people who were doing peaceful projects around the world. So he started funding peace projects all over the world. He didn't realize that he had 10 years left to live. And in these last 10 years, he created a trust fund, his final thing that he would do. He created a fund. He said, I want all my money to go every year to award somebody who does something peaceful. I want to be known as a peacemaker. I don't want to be known as a merchant of death. I want to be known as a peacemaker. So he said, please just name the award after my last name, Noble. Just call it the Nobel Peace Prize. And every year since then, the Nobel Peace Prize Award has been given out because one man changed his game plan. One man changed his. It's never too late to change how you're living your life. It's never too late to get right with God. It's never too late to change the generational thing that you're going to hand off to the next generation. It's never too late to leave a legacy. And I want the keys to come out. I want to give you seven arrows to shoot. Seven arrows that you and I could shoot that would make an an impact, that would really make our lives count for eternity. Number one, live every day with the desire to know Jesus more. That's the greatest arrow we can shoot. 
Live every day with the desire to know Jesus more. I never want to get comfortable, complacent, or settled at partial intimacy with Christ. I want to have full victory. And to have full victory, I need to have total intimacy. I need to be connected. I want to have a real relationship with Jesus. Don't ride off the coattails of your parents' relationship with Jesus. I got Liam in the room today. And he wanted to come in. He said, Daddy, I want to come in and worship with you today. And, and, and this last week, I, I took Liam out to go look at the new For the Future building where children will worship, where teenagers will worship, where college students will be trained up and sent out all over the world. So, so I'm in there, and I'm talking to Liam about the future. I, I think it's so important that we would help our children and that you and I, that we would all take on a personal responsibility to know Christ, that we would not ride off of someone else's relationship. Don't settle for Sunday morning relationships. Settle for every day. Wake up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The more that you get to know Jesus, the more you discover his game plan for your life. And the more you start winning the Super Bowl every single week in your marriage, in your family, in your calling, in your cause, in your finances, in your purpose. Number two, live every day with a passion to love your family. Live every day with a passion to love your family. People would interview Kobe and they'd say, what do you like to do now? And he said, man, I just love hanging out with my girls. Just love hanging out with my kids. Yesterday, I was preaching at a men's conference in Tulsa at a hotel here in town. And, and I said, I'm going to give it all I got. I'm going to preach for a full hour because that's what they asked me to preach. And I said, and I'll stay after and I'll pray for people and I'll shake hands for 15 minutes, but I got to leave at 1115. And I said, we understand, but you know, why do you got to leave at 11.15? I said, because my four-year-old and my, my six-year-old have a basketball game, and I'm the assistant coach of the Little League Boys basketball team, the Little Victors. And the man got a little tear in his eye, and he said, that's kingdom work right there. I said, I know, and I don't want to miss any of it. So right after I finished praying and shaking hands, hugging a guy who got saved in prison watching victory, and now he leads a prison ministry in Oklahoma, I said, it's time for me to go. I hugged him, got a picture with him, ran over here, sat down on the bench, had Liam and Benny. They're shooting the ball on the wrong goal a few times. They're, they're getting down the court. They're, you know, passing it off. And it wasn't a waste of time for me. It was a great time for me. It was a, it was a kingdom moment for me, just pouring into them. You got this. You're a champion, mighty man of God, praying for him. Have a passion every day to love your family. And you, some of you in the room might go, well, my family doesn't live here, Paul. Or maybe some of you, your family has passed on. And maybe this is a painful subject to even think about. But I want to encourage you today that there is a family in this church that you can belong to. There are people that would love to do life with you. There are people that you can bring into your life. In fact, last night when I was celebrating people who've been saved for many years, these two ladies were standing up. They've been saved for 60 plus years. They're holding hands, hugging each other two sweet elderly women. And I said, are y'all sisters? They said, no, but we feel like sisters. They said, we're each other's family. We, I said, how long y'all known each other? They said, three years. We met here at Victory. We're best friends. We got a bond, a sisterhood bond. And I started thinking about singles in the room today. I started thinking about empty nesters. I started thinking about single parents in the room. I started thinking about widows in the room. You don't have to do life alone. There's a family of God you can get connected to. You can have brothers and sisters. You can have a church family that you can love and really pour into. Number three, live every day with God's forgiveness towards all especially yourself, especially including yourself. 
Some of us in this room, we're not bitter at other people. We're just bitter at ourselves. We're frustrated that we made decisions that we regret we made. If I could go back, I woulda, I shoulda, I coulda done this differently. Ah. I was listening to a pastor speak this last week who said he had tallied up the time he had spent away from his family on airplanes alone. He said, I've been on airplanes. And he said, not including the time on the runway or the time in the airport, just wheels up five years, five years of minutes totaled up that I was away from family. And he said, I started just feeling condemned. He said, I started feeling just regret. And I was sitting there just thinking, oh man, he said, I, he said, I took a lot of trips that I didn't have to take, that I just wanted to take. At, and he said, as I look back on it, it was the pursuit of something that I, I know deep down inside wasn't really for the cause. And he said, I started thinking in my latter years. I remember my dad said this when he was on his deathbed. He said, when I get out of this, when I get out of this cancer treatment center, we're going to go on a family vacation. And your mom's going with me. Every trip I go on, she's coming with me. She's coming with me. I don't want to keep going out without her. And, 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 and I, I want to just encourage you today that if you feel regret, you don't have to live in condemnation because with Christ, you can forgive yourself and you can change today. We can't change the past, but we can change today. Today is a gift. Tomorrow is a gift. You can choose today, tomorrow to change what you're doing with your life. But you've got to receive the grace of God. There's things that I look back on. I go, oh, I, like I'm hard on myself. I wish I would have done this. I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I would have done this, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I just hear God saying in heaven, Paul, I forgave you. I forgave you. It's time for you to forgive you. It's time for you to forgive yourself. And I'm saying that to someone here today. Life is too short to hold on to bitterness towards yourself. Life is too short to live with regrets every day. Just receive his grace. The Bible says there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For all things are made new. You are a new creation. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Shame off you. Shame off you. Condemnation off of you. Number four, live every day with a passion to bring God glory in whatever you do. Live with a passion. For some of us in this room, we don't have a, a wood problem at the altar. We got plenty of wood on the altar. We need fire. We need fire. I was talking to one guy who said, you know, Paul, I, I'm kind of, I'm heartbroken because, you know, this girl, she, she broke my heart. She, and she's my old flame. She's my old flame. <laughs> and he said, every time I see her, you know, I just, oh, I'm just living with half of a heart. I'm living with half of a heart. The only way to get your heart back the only way to get rid of an old flame is to get consumed with an all-consuming fire. To let the fire of God burn up the old flames. To let the fire of God burn up the disappointment, the discouragement, and get full of fire to live with passion, with the purpose and the calling of God on your life. I was in this room a few weeks ago, and I was running through the room, and I was preaching, and I was shouting, and I was going up to the top, and I was giving it all I got, and nobody was in the room. It was empty. There was no one here. And I, I was just preaching my heart out because I wanted to know how it felt to preach with no one in the room. I was preaching to me. I was preaching to me. And I never want to get complacent or content and think that I've figured this thing out. I want to get better. I want to keep getting better. And so when I was walking out, one of the sound men, 
was hiding in here. And he came up to me. The cameras lost me. Oh, there, there we are. And he said, uh, that was a good sermon. I said, you were in there? He said, yeah. He said, do you do that? Do you, do you practice your messages every week? I said, I try to. I try to come in here every week with no one in here because I'm passionate about helping people experience victory in their life. I'm passionate about you getting the word of God and it coming alive. So I will do anything that I can short of sin to help more people experience Jesus and his salvation and his victory. You know, there is an enemy, there's an opponent that is passionate about destroying your life. John 10 verse 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is all out. He is passionate. He is not a half-hearted king. He is the prince of darkness. And he sows lies every single minute of your life. Lies of defeat, lies of discouragement. He wants to take from you. Imagine if we got just as passionate as he is and we started living our life for the glory of God. Imagine if we got passionate about our purpose, whether you're a teacher, a coach, a principal, a plumber, whether you are a coffee barista, whether you're a student in college, a student in high school. Imagine if you started living with passion to really make your life count for eternity, to share God's love with people around you. There was this NBA player who was getting ready to play against Kobe Bryant. And uh, this was when Kobe was in his late 20s, uh, about to turn 30. He'd been playing in the NBA for 10 years. And so he wasn't a rookie. He was in his prime. He had won a couple of championships. And so this player shows up, and it's in Los Angeles. It's a home game. He says, I'm going to get there five hours early, and I'm going to practice and prepare. So he comes into the Staples Center. He comes into the court, and he sees this shadow running up and down the court, dribbling, just sweating, running. And when he gets close, you realize that's Kobe Bryant. He's got a home game tonight. He's played in this place for 10 plus years. And he's here five hours. He's here earlier than anyone else. And he is in a dead sprint, just giving it all he's got. And so the other player goes, I got to get out there and work hard. I got to play this guy tonight. So he starts, you know, practicing, playing. He practices for an hour and a half. And he looks over and Kobe's still working. He said, I watched Kobe practice all the way up till the game, five hours. He was sweating so hard. He said, I thought he's not going to have any energy for the game. He just poured it all out in practice. He went on that night to score 42 points. He had multiple rebounds, multiple steals, multiple assists. He won the game. The opponent was so perplexed. He said, how did you have the energy to play so hard in the game when you had practiced for five? And why are you practicing for five hours? You are Kobe. You don't have to do this. He said, it's because guys like you think that I just rest on my talent from the past. And I want you to know I'm going to work harder than you. I'm going to work harder than you. I'm going to give it all I got out there. I'm going to pour it all out on that court. I'm saving nothing for another game. I'm living like this is my final game. What if we started living like that for Jesus? What if we started living like this was our last week to live? Number five, live every day with an intentional focus on what really matters. What really matters? Some guy reached out to me this week. He said, I'm praying for you. I said, thank you. He said, yeah, yeah. Did you hear so-and-so was talking bad about you? And I was like, no. And he goes, yeah, you want to hear what he said? I was like, no, not really. He goes, you sure? Because it, it, was, it was pretty bad. And I was like, no, I don't want to hear it. And uh, by the way, if you ever hear someone talking bad about me, you don't have to come up and tell me. <laughs> it's not like an encouraging moment. It doesn't make my day better. Just stand up for me. I'll stand up for you. I got your back, man. I'll tell them, no, that, that's not the girl I know. That's not the guy I know. They're, all, they're amazing. They're awesome. They're incredible. I got your back. 
but he wanted to tell me. Oh, and I was discouraged, man. For 15 minutes, I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, oh. And then I heard God say, what really matters? Whose opinion really matters? I came home, and Liam came up and gave me the biggest hug. And then Benny came up, Daddy, I love you. And Mackie, and I realized, you're never going to get everyone's approval. If you want to avoid criticism, just say nothing, do nothing, try nothing, and be nothing. But if you want to live for Jesus, stop living for everyone else's hand claps. Stop living for everyone else approving of you, not criticizing you. History makers, difference makers, you got to get comfortable with the criticism. And you got to recognize what really matters. Don't focus on stuff that doesn't matter. Don't waste your energy on that. Don't read the comments. Don't, don't focus on stuff that's just a waste of your time. Number six, live every day with an attitude of victory. Live every day with an attitude of victory. And I'm, I hope this is helpful. If it's not helpful for you, it's helpful for somebody out there. Live every day with an attitude of victory. So many people are going through life with an attitude of defeat, an attitude of victim mentality. Just, oh, everyone's out to get me. People are against me. People aren't for me. I'm never good enough. I'll never rise above this. I'm, I'm defeated. I only got a few arrows to shoot. I can't, I can't, I don't have what he has. I wasn't born in that family. I didn't have the same resources. It didn't come from that. I don't have anyone to help me. No one's going to write a recommendation. I'm just, and you got to stop living with that mindset. You got to have a mindset of victory. Victory is one in here before it's one out there. You've got to get the victory on the inside. You've got to have an attitude of faith, an attitude that my best days are right in front of me. God is not finished with my story yet. He's just getting started. I'm just getting started. I'm going to get out there, and I'm going to live the best life I can live this year. Number seven, final arrow right here. Live every day to share God's love and make Jesus known to those around you. Live every day to share God's love and make Jesus known to those around you. My mom and dad modeled this so well, sharing Jesus everywhere we went, quick trip, Taco Bueno, Sonic, Walmart, taxi cab, wherever we were at, sharing Jesus. You know, sometimes in life we get out of alignment. We start living our lives unintentionally. We're Christians, but we're just not living in the right alignment with God. When I was in high school, I, I didn't play football. I'd played football in middle school, but my brother, his senior year, he said, Paul, would you play football with me? My senior year, would you come out on the field? I said, all right, you convinced me to come. So it was my junior year, we're 13 months apart. And uh, I tried out for the team and I made uh, JV quarterback. My junior year, I was third string quarterback on the varsity team, woo woo. And uh, so John was on the starting defense, starting offense. He's a lineman. And, and what they did in practice is they would line up the third string offense against the first string defense. Bad, bad situation for me. And so there's Jordan Newman, six foot five, huge guy. Matt Wolke, Jeff Perkins, uh, John Doherty, Joe Arce. These guys are massive. They're gonna take me down. And the coach, Coach Jerry and Coach Rogers, they're like, I want you to blitz all night. I'm like, this is not remember the Titans. This is like victory football. You know, and they're blitzing me during practice. He's like, I want you to blitz Paul, blitz that Doherty kid. You know, and so they're taking me down and I'm getting rocked and I'm getting socked and I'm getting knocked down. And around 4.15 p.m., he said, all right, one last play. He said, Paul, you know, you're the third string offense, we're, we were all like 100 pounds. We were so small and skinny, the third string. And so he goes, this is the final. And he goes, defense, I want you to give it all you got. This is your last play. Make it count. And I was like, no, don't make it count. <laughs> 
And Coach Rogers said, chase Paul like he just kissed your girlfriend. I was like, I didn't. I haven't even kissed my girlfriend. Please don't. I'm a good man. Please don't. Don't get me. Don't get me. And I'm like, down, set, hut. And I'm running back there. And all of a sudden, Jordan and Joe, they come from both sides and they smash my body. I'm crumpled down into the ground. They had to carry me to the nearest hospital. I went to the hospital. I said, doc, what's going on? What do I need? He said, well, I got some bad news for you. You're messed up. I said, I know, doc. What do I got to do? He goes, you can't play football for four weeks. I said, that's the best news I've heard all my life. <laughs> he said, you got to go to the chiropractor. You're out of alignment. I went to the chiropractor and he said, you're out of alignment. It's going to take some time, but we're going to get you back in alignment. There's a great physician in the house today. And I think some of us in this room, we've just gotten out of alignment. It's not like we're living bad lives. It's just that we're out of alignment. We're, we're out of alignment. And I want you to stand your feet all over this place today as we finish, as we close. I feel like I'm preaching to some amazing people in the room today, but maybe some amazing people that just need to get back in alignment. And maybe there's just one man in the room, one woman in the room, that this last week, eternity's been on your mind. You've been thinking about what really matters. You've been thinking about some things you need to change in your life, some habits you need to break, some addictions you need to get rid of. You've been thinking about some people you need to forgive. You've been thinking about some shame and guilt that you need to let go of towards yourself. And this is the most important moment in the room. If you wouldn't mind just standing still with heads bowed and eyes closed here today, if you're here right now, and you're not right with God. You're out of alignment with God. You're out of alignment even with the life you want to live. You've not been living with courage. You've been living with shame. You've not been living with hope. You've been living with fear. You've not been living with focus. You've been living distracted. And maybe you're here today and it's like the enemy's trying to distract you in this message. Just trying to get you off focus, out of alignment with what really matters. But today, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who gave it all for you, who left heaven and came down to earth, and he lived with passion. He is our model. He is our model. He is our King. He gave it his all for you, and he was focused, and he was surrendered, and he was obedient even unto death. For whoever tries to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for the sake of God will find it. When you surrender your life completely to Christ, when we go all in, God begins to give us the greatest life we could ever imagine. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you just need to get back in alignment, you need to start living your life the way that God has called you to live it all in, shooting every arrow you have, living with courage, pouring it all out, holding nothing back, not being distracted. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand all over this room. God's speaking to you today. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. People you need to witness to, people you need to forgive, shame you need to let go of, sins you need to repent of. If you were to die tomorrow, do you know what you would spend eternity, where you would spend eternity? Today, God is calling you heaven and earth. He sets before you life and death. Choose life so that you might live. Choose life. If you're here today and, and you just need to choose Jesus, you need to surrender, you need to choose life, today's your day. Just raise your hand all over this room. If you raised your hand for any of those, I want you to leave your seat. Come and join me at this altar. Your decision to leave your seat and come to this altar is like shooting an arrow towards your future. It is a prophetic act of victory towards your future. God's saying, hold no arrows back. Release your future into victory. Release your future into hope. 
Start living the life that God's called you to live. Start making it count for eternity. Let's cheer on brave men. Let's cheer on brave women, brave husbands, brave wives, brave mothers and fathers and students and teenagers and sons and daughters.